All right, I think we're there. I think we are, let's see. Yep, nope, we're there and we're doing this. Is that what we're doing? Good, yeah, there we go. All right, we're gonna move on here. Thanks, Rich. Uh, that was a um, humbling, <laughs> mostly true. <laughs> so, so. Um, it's, it's a joy to be back with you guys. Uh, I haven't been here since um, 2019. Uh, there was something that happened between then and now. I can't remember, but there was some reason I didn't come back for a few years. I, you'll have to help me remember that. So, As Rich mentioned, I have the uh, privilege of being the founder and president of a group called Worldlink. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about that in a little bit. But it's, it's a joy to come and talk about the Word of God. And that's what I want to do first. And I think we'll have time at the end to talk about the work of God also. All right? So... Um, as a part of founding Worldlink uh, 21 years ago now, I happened to be, uh, about 10 years ago, I found myself in Kathmandu, Nepal. Well, I didn't find myself. I, I actually knew I was going there. I didn't just like wake up one morning and go, wow, where am I? Kathmandu, wow, go figure. Um, I had intended to have meetings in Pakistan with, uh, with indigenous uh, Christians and church leaders in, in South Asia, but one of our partners in uh, Pakistan was abducted and was uh, kept off, and they, they looked at me and they said, uh, Jack, you don't really look like you belong here, so it might be better if, if we don't take you to Pakistan. Uh, so we, we met in Nepal. So um, I did a, a very unusual thing there. Normally, when I travel at that time, I did, n did nothing that was tourist-related. Uh, frankly, I was a little bit stupid, all right? Um, I think that's the biblical word for it. I, yeah, I, I kind of wanted to get in, get the work done, do, 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 and I didn't realize that my brothers and sisters who were there were gonna, were, wanted me to see part of their country. They were offering a part of, of who they are, of what they live like, and, and I was just, you know, I was stupid. So, but at this point, uh, Daruba, one of our Nepali uh, partners, he said, hey, Jack, you really ought to do this, this thing. Um, so I left the, the area where we were, I took a taxi out to the outskirts of Kathmandu, out to a little airport out there, uh, plunked down some money, uh, you know, and probably signed away my life, and then uh, went out on the tarmac into this little twin prop um, plane, um, you know, to take a uh, close view of uh, the Himalayan mountain range. Now, um, the, the, the purpose of doing that was not to slip the surly bonds of earth and, you know, dance the skies on silver uh, wings. Um, it wasn't to uh, test God's sovereign care over someone doing something stupid, uh, though I did. Uh, you know, it wasn't to um, experience the adrenaline of bouncing up and down on, on uh, the waves and the winds that came off of the mountains, although we did. The purpose was... Um, simply to experience without all the cost that it would have taken to do it any other way, without the, the chance of freezing to death that it would have taken to do it on the ground or the months of efforts and the lots of money, uh, to experience up close and um, personally the stunning grandeur of the largest mountain range in the world, right? Um, now, I've seen mountains before. Uh, I've, I've been in the uh, Rockies, uh, I've been in, you know, well, I've been in Valley Forge Park, I've been out Mount Misery and Mount Joy. <laughs> Impressive, I know. Um, 
I've, I've skied the Alps in the, the German-Austrian border and, and Mount Hood in, and, in Oregon. I've, uh, I've climbed um, uh, up to the Andes Mountains, out to Mount Machu Picchu. Uh, I've been there. I've seen the, the mountains. I've, I've flown over Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. Um, I've seen, you know, one day the Tetons and then drove uh, a day later down to the Grand Canyon. So, I, you know, I've seen mountain range, but... Quite honestly, nothing of all those compares to crawling up into the cockpit, literally crawling on my knees into the cockpit of this little twin prop plane um, and, and looking through the windscreen and seeing the absolute majesty and the splendor and the magnificence and the awesome size of Mount Everest and the other mountains in that range. It, it was awesome. It was stunning. It was dazzling. It was inspiring, I would say drop-dead gorgeous, but when you're in a plane, drop-dead is probably not what you want to say. And, but what made it more impressive, you know, Mount, Mount um, Everest is 29,000 feet high. You mentioned La Paz, Bolivia, uh, at 13,000. Um, Cusco in, uh, in uh, Peru is 14,000. This is 29,000 feet high. But the reality is that you know, I've gone 29,000 feet high quite often. Every flight I take, I go 29,000 feet high at least, right? And I've been in the last year, I've been in, um, you know, in, in Britain and in, uh, in Cuba and in, uh, in South Africa, in Lesotho and Eswatini, which is the old Swaziland, and in uh, um, uh, Zambia, in, uh, let's see, uh, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia. So, you know, I, I fly a lot. Been to Oregon this week. But there's nothing, you know, just being that tall is really no big deal. What is really makes the height so amazing is what the, 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 the geographers call topographical prominence. If you, if you didn't pay attention in geography class, which I didn't eat, so I had to look it up. It's the difference between the pinnacle of, of the top and the relief between that and the bottom, the valley, the pit, that's what makes this thing so awesome. And Mount Everest is the highest topographical prominence in the world. Mount Denali is the second. Kilimanjaro is third. And so as I looked at this, to experience the pinnacle, the remarkable height, uh, takes on deep significance when you realize the pit from which it rises. Okay? And this morning, I want to spend some time thinking about that, not from a geographical standpoint, but from a biblical standpoint. Because in, in my mind, as Paul writes to the, his letter to the Ephesians, he's going to take people to understand the, the pinnacle of where God has put them. You've got to understand the pit from which they came. All right? And so if you have your Bibles, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, that's where we're going to launch in for a little while. And we're going to spend some time and thing, seeing what, what does, how does this apply in, you know, to the Ephesians and the churches around Ephesus where Paul wrote, and how does it apply uh, to modern-day Christians, and how does it apply to people in southeastern Pennsylvania, and then hopefully how does it apply to me? We're going to see the heights to which God has taken us can only be appreciated by, in light of the the difference between where we were and where we are. So, in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at the first 10 verses very quickly. Well, maybe not so quickly. We'll see. We'll see how we go through it. 
All right? But what we're going to look for is, is understand that Ephesians chapter 2 flows naturally out of Ephesians chapter 1. Remember, when, when the Bible was written, there were no verse divisions, there were no chapter delineations, there, there were no uh, explanatory descriptions written in there. And, and so those were written later to help us navigate this thing, which, is, which was great. We appreciate those. But remember, um, chapter 2 flows naturally out of chapter 1. So where does Paul, what's he talking about in chapter 1? He's talking in chapter 1 about that same height, that dazzling, stunning, spectacular truth of the height of where it is to be on the mountain of in Christ. And if you, you look at, at, the, at what he says about being in Christ, it's, it's amazing. You, you, there's a key phrase. Remember, he's writing to people who are in Christ. In verse 1 of chapter 1, he says, to the saints in Ephesus and, and around there, that, that section may not have been in the, the original earliest manuscripts, but the saints in and around Ephesus is where this letter was taken by a guy named Tychicus, which won't be on the chest, so don't worry about it. Um, he says, the faithful in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. That's who he's writing to people, who are in Christ Jesus. But what does he say? What, what's, what's the big deal? Why, why is there a, a benefit, a blessing, a height to being in Christ Jesus? Look, look what he says. Follow along with me. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Right? Verse 4. Uh, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Verse 7. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Verse 13, you were marked in him. You believed and were marked in him with the promised seal of the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. In him, in him. If you go to other places where Paul wrote, in 2 Timothy 1, 9, he says, he gave grace in Christ. Before the ages began. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, very familiar passage. He says, I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come, powers or heights or depths or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he says, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians 3.26, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. In what? Amazing. Now, when I think of in Christ, I, th I think of, how do I picture this? So I've got a, a, a Bible, which I call a hymn book because it's all about him, right? So, so I have a Bible, and I've got a picture. Uh, now, this picture is Jack Nelson in 1975, all right? Um, I, it was the closest picture I could get of myself to the time at which I first became a believer in Jesus Christ and was become in Christ. So this is a picture of me. If you look really closely, uh, your eyes might melt, but I don't know. It, it's, uh, it's short shorts and long hair, all right? That's the way, the way we rolled back then. Uh, it's playing basketball. So this is Jack Nelson. This is him, the hymn book. When I become in Christ, all of a sudden... What does God see when he looks at Jack Nelson? He sees him. He sees Jesus. 
On my worst day, I am Jack Nelson in Christ. And when God looks at me, I'm in him. And all the blessings that are mine are mine because I'm in Christ. Remember what I, I just read. We're blessed, we're chosen, we're redeemed, we're forgiven, we're marked, we're sealed, we're set for eternity, we're given grace, we've been marked with an inseparable love, we're made a new creation, we're made a child of God, we're justified, we're righteous in him. So that's what it's like to be in Christ. But how do I get in Christ? That's, a, that's the question. How do I get in Christ? Look at chapter 2 and verse 13 and 14. He says, and you were also included in Christ when what? You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Okay? He gives us two things that have to happen for me to be in Christ. I heard the word of truth, and then I believed it. I heard the gospel of my salvation. What is the gospel? Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, so this is the good news, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the, the good news. And when I hear that, and I believe it, and I say, God, Jesus, you died for me, and I want to accept you. I receive it. I believe it. I trust it. I rest in it. I am then taken, and I am in Christ. So that's where he, he, he finds us. And, and in order to appreciate that, though, I, I really think we got to look at the valley. we got to look at where we came from. And that's what Paul does in chapter 2, which is where we want to launch into now. In chapter 2, in verse 1, what does he say? He says, as for you, as for you Ephesians, as for you surrounding churches, as for you all through the ages, you Christians, as for you in, in Conshohocken, Pennsylvania, as for you, past tense, remember, you were, you were. This is in the past, you, you, former tense, former status, um, prior condition, you were, were in the valley, in the pit, you were, he says, dead. What? Dead? You, you don't write letters to dead people, do you? Well, sometimes I guess if you're in therapy, you might write a, write a letter to the dead person, but that's not for, not for them, it's for you, all right? That's, okay, let's be honest. So, what does he mean dead? The biblical concept of death is not cessation, it's separation. When somebody dies physically, they don't cease to exist. They separate. Their physical body is separated from their soul, their spirit, their immaterial part. When sin came into the world, there was a separation. And, and, and humans were then separated from God, their creator. And in fact, in the garden, there was, they were expelled. At eternal death, that separation becomes permanent. He says, you were dead... How were you dead? He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So, i got another book. So Jack Nelson, before he was in Christ, we'll use this black, dark book to symbolize he was dead. I was in my sins. Before I came to Christ, everything that was in me, anything that I was, was in sin. And anything that happens to sin happens to me. What happens to sin? Sin is separated from God because he cannot have sin in his presence. But he, then he says, Jack, you heard the word. You believed. 
You became in Christ. And now anything that's going to happen to Christ is going to happen to me. We'll see that in a second, all right? So he says, you were dead, now you're in, you're alive. You were in sin, now you're in Christ. It seems like Paul wants to say there's only two optional places to be as a human, in sin or in Christ. So God drew me when I was 15 years old, and I heard and I believed, and Jack was saved. Remember what happens to the book happens to Jack. What happens to sin? He's expelled from this present. What happens to Christ? He's, I'm in his presence. Now, now, if you say, okay, well, wait a second. What happens to sin? What, what is sin? Let's, let's, let's just cover that real quickly. If you look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, for uh, whoever sins breaks the law, for sin is lawlessness. The Greek is hamartia estenhe anomia. Again, not on the test, so don't worry about it. Anomia, um, ah, it's a compound word, ah, the beginning of any word that you put an A on it, it what does what to it? it? It negates it, right? No, no. Uh, like a atheist, no theos God, no God, right? Uh, an uh, an agnostic, gnosko is, is knowledge, uh, so uh, someone who says there is a no knowledge, right? Um, so, an anomio, what does that mean? Nomio means law or rule or reign or um, will. And so if someone who sins, he says, you are no will, no law, no rule, no reign. Someone who sins is someone who does not live by the law, the reign, the rule of God in their life. They live by their own subsequently. And I say, listen, God, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do when I, with whom I want to do it. And remember, that's what happened in the garden. Uh, you look up Genesis 1 through 3. That's what happened there. Uh, that's what happened to Satan when he got kicked out of heaven. Look up uh, Isaiah 14, all right? So, so that is what sin is all about. And we can sin by committing sin. We can sin by you know, doing what God says don't. We can sin by omitting, by not doing what God says to. And that's what sin is, but what does sin do in, in Romans chapter 6, it says the wages of sin is what? It's death, is separation. The wages of sin is death. The deserved results of sin, the rightful consequences of sin, is that I'm separated from God. Now, that's what Paul says, you were dead. You Ephesians who are now Christians, you're, you were, were, past tense, dead. And then in typical Pauline fashion, he takes a little parenthesis. Because he says, oh, hey, uh, listen, we're talking about sins. Uh, we're talking about what you were. Let's, let's go in chapter, you know, verse 2 and 3. He says, uh, this is what those sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit of now who's at work and those who are disobedient. Says that's that's where you used to live. You used to walk around like that. Literally, that's what the term means. That's you walked in that area, in the ways of the world, in the, the ruler, the kingdoms of darkness. You were disobedient, resulting in separation. He says in verse three, um, you know, if you're tempted to say, "Yeah, that's the way all those people were," that's the way they were, but not me. Verse three, he says, "All of us." also lived among them in that, uh, at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following the desires and thoughts. Like the rest of us, we were by nature objects of wrath. Oh boy, that's an encouraging message. 
Because of my sin, I was an object of God's wrath. Because I was gratifying the cravings of my own sinful nature, doing what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, with whom I wanted to do it. God says, listen, you're following your own desires and your own sinful thoughts. You're separated from me. And the result is that like the rest, he says, we were objects of wrath. Um, Wrath is not a a, a topic we spend a lot of time talking about in churches nowadays, is it? But the problem is that wrath is real. We don't like to talk about it. But that's where each of us were, he says. You were. Now, the sad part is that some in our world remain there because they've never had the chance to hear the good news and believe. They've never had that opportunity. Now, if we stopped there, it would be a lot of discouragement, wouldn't it? But Paul then writes what I think is my favorite word in the Bible. Verse 4, but, but. It's a contrast. It's, it highlights a difference, a, a distinction, a dissimilarity. He says, that's the way it was. That's the way you were. But. Look what he says, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. He says, you used to live in sin, in the valley of in sin down there. He says, with its enthralling amusements, and its enslaving addictions, its inevitable abuses, its unrelenting advance of swelling wrath over and over and more and more, but, but now, because of his great love and rich mercy. God who is, you know, that, that's amazing. Great love, rich mercy. Man, if I was going to get a tattoo, I think I'd get great love, rich mercy. <laughs> Just to say, you know what? Remind me, God, of who you really are. Yes, you have wrath, but great love, rich mercy breaks through the wrath. And he says, what did God do because of his great love and rich mercy? Verse 5 and 6, he made us alive with Christ When we were dead in our trespasses and our transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. He says, you were dead. He raised you up. He made you alive. And not only did he make us alive, he seated us in the heavenly realms. Now, what does all that mean? You say, okay, we'll be a second. That I just kind of remember because in chapter 1, in verse uh, 20, he talks about the strength of, uh, of God working in Christ. He says, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. There's this parallel that because Jesus, well, he was dead, he was raised, he's now seated. He says, you're in Christ. You were dead, you're now raised, now you're seated in the heavenlies. Now, what does that mean? I, you know, I understand dead. I understand raised. What does this seated in the heavenlies part be? If you go to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, read 10 and, uh, uh, through 12, because what it basically means, among other things, it means a lot, but what it basically means is when Jesus was done, he sat down. He was seated in the heavenlies. It's finished. There is no more sacrifice for sin. There's nothing else that he has to do to save us. There's nothing else we have to do to be saved when we're in Christ because of hearing the good news, and believing the good news. Maybe we should stop there and just praise God for a little while longer. Because when you understand where I was, dead in my sins, and the 
pinnacle, the peak that God has brought me to, alive, resurrection, seated, forgiven, redeemed, blessed, have his Holy Spirit, have his word in his family. Why do you think of that? Amazing. Why would God do that? Why would God take a knucklehead teenager in Florida with short shorts and long hair, why would he take that person and save them? He tells us in verse 7. Verse 7, he says, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He did it for a singular purpose, so that throughout the ages and the epochs and the the, uh, eras to come, every person and every angel and every demon will be able to look at Jack Nelson and say, not, what a great guy, but what a great God. Look at him. There is no way that he could have saved himself. There is no way that he could have done anything to equip himself. There's no way he could got from the pit to the pinnacle, it's all of God, and it glorifies God when it happens. Because of his great love, his rich mercy, his incomparable grace, his eminent kindness, he saved us. Verse 8, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not from yourself. You couldn't do it. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So there we are. We couldn't work our way to heaven. Couldn't do it. But God, in his great love, his rich mercy, saved us. And the only way to get there is to hear the good news and to believe the good news. To have faith, to have belief, to, have, 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 to receive. And so the obvious logical question at this point is, have you done that? I don't know in a group like this. I don't know you well enough. But I want to encourage you that if you have come here and you said to yourself, you know what, I've been to church a lot or I've never been before in my life. But I see that I'm living in the pit. And I really want to be on the pinnacle. You've heard the good news. If you need to hear it more, let's talk afterwards. But if God's touching your heart... If today is the day, don't leave until it happens. But you know what? When we understand the deep, rich, fully, amazing, glorious gospel of Christ and the heights and the pinnacle to which God's taken us, what do we do? How do we respond? Lord willing, we respond with faith. We respond with gratitude. We respond with worship. We respond with surrender. We respond with remembrance. But I hope we respond with a passion to make sure people all around the world hear that same message. Because unless they hear and believe, they will live their life and spend eternity in the pit. I don't know what that means for you, but I can tell you what it means for me. It meant for us that we started WorldLink 21 years ago, basically with a vision that God, to see God's good news shared with every unreached person, every person who has never heard that good message so that they can respond in a way that would be transforming lives and individuals. 
Oh, wait a second, I must have pushed the wrong thing there. There we go. Now, lots of people are doing that. Uh, our unique part of that is to empower indigenous missionaries to share God's tangible love and good news with, with people around the world, and particularly in the places where, where you and I most likely can't go. Um, you know, a lot of the countries we're, we're now have grown into 49 countries. We got 1,317 indigenous missionaries that God's allowed us to partner with and to uh, let them minister in their own countries. Um, most of them, I can't go as an identifiable North American missionary, all right? So what does that look like? Um, why indigenous missionaries? Uh, because they know the language. I've shared with youth, but you may, they, they know the language. It would take me two to five years to learn a language, a lifetime to try to master it. I probably wouldn't. Uh, they know the culture. They, I don't look like a, um, an Indian. I don't look like a, a Vietnamese. I don't look like I'm from uh, Bolivia, or uh, I don't look like I'm from uh, Nigeria. Um, and the reality is um, I don't think like I'm from there either. But my brothers and sisters in those countries, they know their own culture and they know their own scriptures, and they're able to make people uh, meet. Uh, readiness. Uh, I know it would take me if I wanted to go to another country because Nancy and I thought we were going to years ago. F 40 uh, years ago uh, when we got married, we thought that within a year we would be in another country. God didn't open that door. And, uh, but I knew that it would take years if we decided to go to a country to sell our stuff. We had four children. We weren't going to sell the children, by the way. <laughs> One of them, eh. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, but to sell our stuff, to you know, raise a bunch of money, to you know, to 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 find out where to go, to prepare that language stuff, it would take us years. Uh, my brothers and sisters um, and yours are ready right now. Uh, they have. Whoops, I was going to slide that. I was going to keep there. Uh, backwards. Backwards. There we go. Uh, they have access to countries. As I said they have continuity. They stay there. They don't. I knew that Nancy and I would want to come back and forth and see our family and see our friends. And uh, they have the longevity. They stay for a lifetime and then cost. Uh, what I found out 20 plus years ago is that it would cost you know tens of thousands of dollars to send me and my four kids and my lovely wife to another country every year. Uh, my brothers and sisters can, uh, who live in those countries can live there and do all, you know, so much better than I can for a tenth to a hundredth of what it costs. You know, some of our frontline missionaries, say in a, a forested village in Bangladesh, they, they may make uh, $50 a month, and that's sufficient for them to live. So the cost was amazing. So we started WorldLink, and over the years, we've, we've got really three priorities. Uh, one is to... Is as missionaries, we want to identify as many as we can and put as many in as many places as we can to reach as many people. Uh, one is training. We learned early on that a lot of the frontline people who want to do missionary work in their own countries, they're just first-generation believers. <laughs> They've just come to Christ. Uh, they haven't been to Bible training or seminary or whatever. So it's more missionaries, it's training, and then we call it special projects. We've learned that uh, in order to do ministry in their own countries, there's a lot of times they need something. So we've built five children's homes in, in India. We've, we've bought bicycles and vans and motor scooters and bought libraries and tracks and Bibles and blankets. And uh, we bought a boat during COVID. That, it wasn't for my retirement. It, 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 there's a lake called Loktak Lake in, in India, and, and there's, they have these floating islands all right, there, there's, it's a massive lake, and there's these islands that are made of uh, biomass, you know, degrading plants, living plants, and dirt, and they just float around the place. And the, the, far, or the fishermen build their little huts on these islands, and they, they 
they blow. And, and you know, so Hemchand, our, uh, one of our partners, said, you know what, I want to I reach the guys on these islands, but every time I go, it, they blow down to that end of the lake, and, and, and then I can't, I go down there, and then they blow down that end of the lake, so, so we got him a boat so he could reach them. So, so that's special projects. So it's, it's missionaries, it's training, it's special projects. That's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're doing. So over the years... Um, uh, Rich mentioned that you know, 20 plus years ago we met, um, 21 years ago we started WorldLink and by God's grace he has allowed us to grow. Um, about oh, five, six years ago when we, um, you know, we hit a, a kind of an inflection point and God has now just been growing us uh, really fast and uh, by his grace over the last um, year, the last 11 months actually, over 800,000 people have heard the, the gospel and over 65,000 have made professions of faith in Christ by all this ministry that God's doing because of your brothers and sisters in those countries and because of your prayer and because of your giving and because of your advocacy, that's what God is doing, all right? Now, um, what's our opportunities? Uh, you know, we want to expand more into Asia. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to show you real fast. There's a lot of tribal African outreach that we can be doing uh, that we're going to be bringing on new partners. Um, there's a lot of closed countries um, that, because we're streaming this, I'm not going to tell you where, the, where we are. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of closed countries where I couldn't even go. Um, and, and then partnerships. In order to do all that, we're going to have to have new staff. We're bringing new staff on place. We've got new structures in place. We've got to have new donors. Uh, there, there are new economic issues. You may, may you know, be an economist right now and realize that what's going on in the United States is, you know, is 10 times as bad in many other countries around the world. So we're facing those things. New persecutions and restrictions. Um, it seems like when COVID hit, the uh, persecution actually went down because everybody was uh, occupied thinking of other things, but since that has opened up, the persecution has gone really sky high, uh, particularly in areas like uh, South Asia, India. Um, by the way, I've got a new book coming, so I'm gonna take, take that one, and I'll get you the new one. It'll be done by the end of this month, um, uh, and then um, we'll get it out in the fall. So uh, that's that copy of Reachable. You can grab the, one of those. So I just want to share really quickly a couple things. Um, I, we'll get back to this question. But I was able to head out. Um, I mentioned a couple of places. I, I want to share with you some of the things that are going on around the world just very, very quickly so that you'll be encouraged and be challenged, all right? So I've been able to go uh, site visits. I went recently to Thailand. Uh, this is an elevator in Thailand. They tell you where to put your feet. Uh, it, it's a holdover from COVID. You're not supposed to face anybody, all right? So um, this is, uh, uh, it doesn't translate re re really well, but if you're gonna have a party, <laughs> you, you wanna have crud beer, all right? Okay, what's a party without crud? I mean, really, okay? Um, this is, this is the symbol for the bathroom. <laughs> that one does translate to any language. Uh, it, it's, it's just there. So, um, so I, was, I was in, uh, this is an entrepreneurial guy with his motorcycle uh, doing a little a delivery business. Um, uh, so I, I was in um, uh, Cambodia, and we were, I was going from Phnom Penh to a place called Takao, which is on the Vietnam border. And as we were traveling, uh, uh, Sam Nang, my partner there, says, hey, uh, you want to stop for get a snack? So we stopped at the Wawa, and, um, 
and we stopped, and, and of course, they wanted to serve something, so this is what they were serving. This was the, the fried crickets. Um, those, were, those were yummy. The, the mealworms, oh, to die for. Um, so th- this is the giant roaches. They were 3,000 real. And of course, the, uh, the uh, tarantula kebab was... So now uh, lunchtime's coming up, isn't it? Uh, so while I was in, uh, uh, in uh, Bangkok, one of our partners from uh, Pakistan came over, uh, a guy named Rahil. Uh, Rahil is, uh, is a Pakistani partner. He came over to meet me there. And uh, I found out something about Pakistan that I had never known. Like, so I've been in 60-plus countries around the world. I, I learned that in Pakistan there are a group of people who understand and appreciate American professional wrestling. So, so he, he said to me, hey, um, Jack, can you put this on? I really want to tell my friends that I met Hulk Hogan. <laughs> so, so I said, hey, buddy, for you, anything, all things to all people, right? So, um, so we went on, uh, uh, although to get electricity in some places, this is in South Africa, I had to go from African electricity, an adapter to European electricity, an adapter to American electricity, to an adapter to, to charge my stuff. So I didn't know I'd have to be MacGyver in order to, to be a, a missionary. Uh, I was in the Swaziland, or now Eswatini, and uh, uh, this is a Swazi traffic jam. Um, there's a... <laughs> You, you can't go any faster than uh, the, um, the warthog goes, all right? Um, just very, very quickly, I, while I was in uh, South Africa uh, a few months ago, uh, my partner, Nihi uh, Daramola, who's our Africa Regional Coordinator, and I went to, in Johannesburg, to the Apartheid Museum. I don't know if you know a lot about Apartheid, but it was that separation, uh, that, that horribly bigoted um, um, way of life philosophy, and we went in there, and uh, as they give you a ticket, uh, I had the one that said um, knee blankies, which is uh, whites, uh, or blankies, and he has knee blankies, which is non-whites. Uh, they have separate entrances you have to go in to experience what it was like during the, uh, the height of apartheid. Um, in, in Africa, in South Africa, they have, they have um, your, uh, your whites are divided between your uh, Afrikaans and your European whites, and they don't always get along, and the, the non-whites are what they call colored and black, and they don't always get along, and this is getting along. And, but what I found was one of the things in the midst of all of that, and it's still there, and, and I won't... We won't talk about a lot about it, but the reality is that um, that bigotry and bias uh, is not is is not colorblind. It's I mean it's, it, everybody can do it. In fact, in, as you end the uh, the museum, there's a quote by Bishop Desmond Tutu that says uh, the the price uh, and I'll almost quote it: the price of freedom is eternal vigilance because there is no guarantee that t- yesterday's oppressor will not or yesterday's oppressed will not become tomorrow's oppressor. And, and that's the reality. It's, it's, a, it's a tough situation. Uh, but one of the things I found was that in the church, the middle walls of partition are broken down. Uh, this is a church that I, I preached at, uh, and the, the pastor and his, his wife, just beautiful, wonderful people. Um, it's the only place I've preached in the last two years where I've worn a sport coat. <laughs> it's strange that <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in South Africa. Uh, just And what you see is that the church of God has broken down the middle wall of partition because we're on the, the, the 
pinnacle together. There is no black, there's no white, there's no color, there's no uh, African, there's, there is no uh, separation because we all have life in Christ. Uh, that's some of the kids in the schools where we're working. Uh, we'll keep moving. Oh, in, in uh, Cambodia, very quickly. Cambodia is a, a, a predominantly Buddhist area. Everywhere you go, there are temples. Uh, there have these things. They call them pagodas outside of businesses and outside of houses. Uh, the pagoda has a uh, worship experience. It's to the gods, and you go out in the morning, and you put fruits on there, and you, you sacrifice incense there to your ancestor gods. Um, and those things are everywhere. Uh, this is Sam Nang, who I told you about. He's doing a training for indigenous uh, church planters. Uh, we have 197 now indigenous church planters in Cambodia who are, who are planting a church um, with uh, their own people. Uh, Sam Nang, interestingly, his name means lucky in Kumai, lucky. He was born in 1975. I don't know if you know Southeast Asian history very much. If you're my age, you probably know more than most. But in 1975, uh, he was born. Uh, hundreds, thousands of young people, boys and girls, who were born that year were named Samnang, or Lucky. And the reason is that that year ended the reign of terror of Pol Pot. Uh, Pol Pot had taken over after the U.S. Uh, forces moved out uh, during, after the Vietnam conflict. When we left, uh, people streamed in. Pol Pot took over trying to establish the most perfect communist country in the world. Uh, he took everybody out of the cities and put them onto villages and into farms and made them all the same. Everybody had to be the same, except for those who were in the party and close to him. They get better. Um, they actually, uh, there was a guy named Mom Barnabas who wrote a book uh, from there. He, uh, he said that his name had to be shortened to one syllable because everybody only could have one syllable in their name because everybody had to be the same. But Sam Nang was, was born that year because he was lucky. Pol Pot, uh, out of a country of, of, of uh, six to seven millions, according to the UN, he had killed two to three million of the people uh, in order to establish the perfect communist country, and he did not. But Sam Nang uh, says, I was born lucky, but now I'm blessed because I'm in Christ. And he's training others to reach their own country people for, for Jesus. Uh, that's a group of church planters who are being uh, trained there in Takao. Uh, that's me on the back right, just in case you <laughs> needed to see. Okay. We went to visit one of the churches out in one of the villages. Uh, again, I'm in the middle, just in case. You, uh, these are, these are first-generation believers. Um, we went to another little village church that had just been planted. I was meeting in the back of somebody's house. There was a little girl there who had a Gucci shirt on. I, I knew the guy who ran the Gucci store in, um, in, in King of Prussia. I, I texted him from there. I sent him this picture. I said, Gucci reached the village before Jesus. We've got to change that. And he said, yes, we do. So um, this is Samuel and his wife. Uh, they're in Vietnam. They're church planters in Vietnam. There is uh, 21 districts. Uh, our teams are looking to plant um, in, in Ho Chi Minh City, plant churches in all 21 districts. He's planting a little church uh, there. Every meal, every day they have a meal after they meet. A lot of these people, he's, the, he's 30 years old. He's the oldest person in his church because it's all young people who are coming to faith in, in, in Vietnam. Uh, the older people, very resistant. The young people, very open. So 
This is a deaf church in Vietnam, uh, led by one of our, of our partners. Um, the deaf community is totally um, rejected, but uh, not by God, and he's, he's opening up a, a church there. So here's your question. Back to that. What's your part in helping others, helping them get to the, the pinnacle? I honestly, I don't know what your part is. I know what my part is, I think, and I'm trying to do it as best I can. Please pray for us. But here's what I will say, that you do have a part. You do have a part. God wants you to do something. You have a unique role to play in bringing that good news to people who are in the pit all over the world. And I would ask you to seek his mind, read his scriptures, talk to his people, and seek his mind as to what your part is. It could be advocating, it could be going, it could be giving, it could be starting something, it could be praying, I don't know. <coughs> Lastly, I want to say this. There are people in the pits in Kanchahakan and King of Prussia and Maniunk and everywhere that you live as well. So let's look for them and tell them how by hearing and believing the good news that they can go from the pit to the pinnacle. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you so much that you have, in Christ, brought us from the pit where we were dead in our trespasses and sins, where we're living according to the ways of this world and of the devil who's the, the head of it. And you brought the good news. You offered us, in Christ, redemption and salvation and and all those amazing blessings we've talked about. And Father, it just, it pains our heart that there are people who cannot get up that because they do not know that Jesus offers it. And I pray that you'll help us to, to know our unique part in bringing the good news to people all around this world. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>